Thanks for being part of the Cross Defense family. Thanks for downloading the podcast. We, this is part two of the last hours of Jesus' life, talking through the, the suffering of Jesus. We start at the garden, and we end just with Jesus being delivered to Pilate. So you got to think sundown on Thursday night to sun up on Friday morning. We cover all the events of that night in the life of Jesus. Thanks for being part of the fun and for downloading. If you enjoy it, there's more theology over at wolfmuller.co. Well, here's Cross Defense. All right, welcome to Cross Defense. Good Monday afternoon. God be praised. Another day of his mercy, his kindness, his love for us. A a time now together to rejoice in the Lord's word as we this Lent are taking uh, this hour every Monday and working our way through the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, his last days. Uh, We're doing that for the next uh, few weeks. So last week... We started out with Jesus washing his disciples. I'm, by the way, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas, uh, and your host here on Cross Defense, where we're trying to always think of the Lord's Word as the that which activates our theological imagination. That's what we're after, an active theological imagination, because we don't want to just know the Lord's Word. We want to trust the Lord's Word, but we want it to be living and active. We want the living and activeness of the Lord's Word to be reflected in our own minds, our own hearts, and our own consciences. So so last week we talked about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We talked about the institution of the Lord's Supper. We talked about Jesus walking down the through the Kidron Valley. Remember, we if you can imagine this, that 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 Jerusalem is on top of Mount Zion, and next to Mount Zion is the Mount of Olives, and between is the valley, the Kidron Valley, where the Kidron Brook Kidron runs through, and kind of on the on the on the side of the Mount of Olives, facing Jerusalem, is the Garden of Gethsemane, still there. And Jesus takes his disciples there. He would go there often with his disciples and uh, visit that place. And they knew it. So so Jesus goes over there and he's praying. And as he prays, he prays three times, thy will be done. If it's possible, oh, this is really, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. We talked about, we talked about last week, what's in the cup. Boy, how that cup is the cup of God's wrath. That cup is the punishment that we deserve because of our sins. That's what's in the cup. And Jesus is is drinking it for us on the cross. Three times Jesus prays. Three times he finds his disciples asleep while he's praying. Remember what he said to Peter. Wake up. Can't you stay and watch for an hour? The flesh is, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And now Jesus stands up from prayer. I just, you have to see, you know, he was... If you can imagine, he was on his face on the dirt in the garden. So now his face, his forehead, and his and his nose is covered in blood and dirt already. His hair is is covered in blood now, just from sweating blood. His robes are starting to have a a red color because of the his bloody sweat. Now he rises from his prayer. And he's ready for the work ahead of him. Now, it's, we're in the middle of the night, as we would count it, on Thursday night. It's already Friday morning, according to the Jewish reckoning. Remembering that the Jewish reckoning begins with sundown. The day starts with sundown. So as soon as the sun goes down on 
Thursday, it becomes Friday morning in the Jewish count. So we're already on Good Friday. Jesus is going to stand up from his prayers, and uh, he's going to go back to his disciples, Peter, James, and John, have them stand up, and then he's going to be betrayed. So we'll pick it up there, and, and we're going to pick up the thread from John chapter 18. So I'm going to start reading John chapter 18, beginning with verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? Now there's a parallel here that I don't want to miss. It's an important parallel. Remember when Jesus, when John was telling us what Jesus was thinking about when it was time to wash the disciples' feet. He says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and, know, and, he, and he, that he loved his own, and he loved him to the last, he stands up from the table, and he goes to wash the disciples' feet. So Jesus, so, so John is giving us these hints about what Jesus knows. Well, here it, it says it again. It says, Jesus, knowing everything that would happen to him. So, so while Jesus is suffering these things, we don't want to think that, what, that he's, that he somehow lost control. He's suffering willingly. He's suffering on purpose. In fact, that's going to be demonstrated by the very next thing that happens. When Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. In the Greek, simply, I am. And they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Now, a couple of things to note, and we, we went to John for this, so John doesn't have this, but that we learn, I think, from Luke or maybe from, from one of the other Gospels that the way that Judas betrayed Jesus was with a kiss, and this was prophesied in the Psalms. So Judas comes up to Jesus, and he kisses him, and that indicates that this is the guy you want to arrest. The other people didn't know, couldn't see in the dark or whatever. So you have to see Judas coming there and coming that close to Jesus. I mean, this... The kiss of Judas. I, I found it in some art this last week, and it's an amazing theme that's there. The kiss of Judas, where he knows that he's betraying his Lord, and yet he does it with this act of affection. It's really, it's really bad. And so they come to arrest Jesus. They see, ah, he's the one. So they go to arrest Jesus, and Jesus says, who are you seeking? Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. Now, we, I don't have the list here, but if you want to track this down, it's particularly interesting. There are seven what are called I am sayings in the book of John, like I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the, I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the vine. There are seven. But there's also seven simple statements where Jesus just says, I am. Before Abraham was, he says, I am. And this is one of those times. 
They come, and that and that we want to remember is is in Greek the divine name. So Jesus is saying that He is God. I am. And what happens when Jesus says it is that they all fall over. Who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And then they just tumble over backwards. Carrie, my wife Carrie, loves this text. She just thinks it's the funniest thing to imagine in her own mind. All these guys, you know, they're not Roman soldiers, or maybe maybe they're Roman soldiers that are working for the temple, but most likely they're just kind of a temple mob or some security guards for the temple. Remember that that uh, that Rome was occupying the Holy Land there, so the Jewish people didn't have their own army. So they had this sort of rent-a-mob kind of coming along with lanterns and pitchforks, and here they're coming out to get Jesus, and Jesus says, I am, and poof, they fall over. But then he says it a second time, who do you say that I am? And they, you know, you can imagine them kind of digging in their heels, getting ready for the same answer, and Jesus says the same thing, I told you, I am. But look, they don't fall over. Now, that that's so important that Jesus speaks I am twice with two different effects. I mean, the first proves his divinity, I am, and they tumble over. But the second shows his readiness to suffer, I am. And they look, and they're still standing there. So they say, okay, let's go and arrest him. So they charge Jesus, but then look what happens. I'm picking it up now. Jesus says in verse 8, I told you that I am. If you seek me, let these men go. He's trying to let he's trying to let all the other so the disciples don't get hurt and mixed up in this thing. And it says this was to fulfill what had been spoken of those whom you gave me, I lost not one. And then verse 10, then Peter, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants and cut off his right ear. That servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Jesus says to Peter, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Put that thing away. If I wanted to have... <laughs> you can imagine Jesus... Looking at Peter saying, look, if I, if I needed soldierly help, I, I would have gotten better disciples. <laughs> Peter, what are you doing waving that sword around? You know, you are not called for this purpose. You, you are not a soldier. Jesus, in fact, says, if I could call down legions of angels to come and, and rescue me if I wanted. But that's not. Can you imagine it? That's not what Jesus wants. He's not in this business for himself. He's not in it so that he can be delivered. He's in it for us. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So they arrest Jesus and, and bind him. In Psalm 2 says, it talks about how the, how the nations gather together and say, and say of the Lord and of his Messiah, let us break their bonds and rend their and rend their uh, bonds. Is that how it says it? Break their bonds. That the, the, the world always wants to break the bonds that God has put us in, and it wants to put God in bonds. It, wanna ra it wants to wrap up the hands of Jesus. It wants to bind him up. And, I don't know, there's something about just imagining these thugs wrapping the tying the hands of Jesus behind his back roughly you know, 
as if he's going to try to get away. As if there's some kind of hero and kind of pushing him down the hill, dragging him through the creek and treating him rough. Bring him, they bring him back into, back into Jerusalem. And now it's going to begin the trial of Jesus. Remember, we're still in the middle of the night or early Friday morning. And the way this is going to work itself out, let me give you the outline before we dig into it. There's going to be five trials. There's going to be two Jewish trials or interviews, and then three secular trials, Roman, Pilate, Herod, Pilate. So it's going to go, it's going to go uh, Annas, then Caiaphas, then Pilate, Herod, Pilate. And that's going to take us through the rest of the night. So we'll pick up the plot, if it's all right with you guys. This is Friday before dawn. We're going to pick up the plot at John 18, verse 12. And by the way, I've, I've got this kind of this narrative sorted out like this on the website. So if you go to wolfmuller.co slash passion, uh, you can see the text that I'm following. So picking it up at John 18, verse 12, it says this. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Remember that John noted that earlier. He said that they were, they were trying to figure out what to do with Jesus, and they thought that Jesus was kind of starting this rebellion and all this sort of stuff. And Caiaphas said, well, it's better for him to die, one to die, than for all of us to die at the hands of the Romans. And, and John notes that he was prophesying. How amazing is that, that he was high priest, so he was prophesying. He didn't have any idea what he was saying. He says it's better to kill Jesus than to have the Romans kill us all. But little did Caiaphas know that it's better that Jesus dies than that the whole world dies. In Adam, all die, but in Christ, all are made alive. It's amazing. So he has a father-in-law. So Caiaphas's wife's father is Annas, and he was the previous high priest. So they bring him over to that guy's house. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have learned, who, ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, ah, this is something. Just prepare yourself. Things are about things are going to go from bad to worse. So here's Jesus bound with his hands behind his back, standing before Annas, the high priest. He says, "What what have you what have you taught? What are your disciples? What are you about? What's your deal?" And Jesus says, "Look, I didn't teach anything in private. You guys were all there. Ask these guys what I said." I'm, and when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? It's always when I'm reading The Passion and the first time they lay hands on Jesus. Well, here it is. Now, remember that Paul, St. Paul, will be standing before the high priest in Jerusalem at his trial. 
And uh, they will ask uh, similar questions of Paul, and he answers a bit cheeky, like Jesus here. And he, they say, is that how you answer the high priest? And Paul apologized. He says, I didn't know I was talking to the high priest. I'm sorry. I'm out of touch. But Jesus doesn't say he's sorry. He says, if what I said is wrong, then argue the wrongness. I'm there not to testify myself or not to defend myself, Jesus says. Hmm. So like a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he's not going to open his mouth. I'm getting the warning that we got to take a break. That's probably a good spot. Jesus before Annas, after his uh, first being struck, we'll pick it up there uh, as Jesus is taken from from Annas over to Caiaphas, and he's going to appear before the Sanhedrin. You're listening to Cross Defense, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We're talking about the last days of Jesus. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Last weekend, many Lutherans joined forces with other pro-life supporters in what's called the March on the Arch. It began in front of Planned Parenthood and ended at the historic Gateway Arch. KFUO Coffee Hour co-host Sarah Golseth was there, and she shares what she saw and did on World Lutheran News Digest, 2.30 Wednesday and 9.30 Saturday on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Welcome back to Cross Defense. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Come and visit when you're hanging around Austin. We're talking about the passion, the last days of Jesus, working it through the, the gospel lessons, uh, considering how it is. We've traveled with Jesus in Jerusalem, out to the, over the Kidron Valley, through the Kidron Valley, into the Garden of Gethsemane. You can still go visit. There's, they think, and I think this is right, there's 2,000-year-old olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you can go there today and think these trees were listening to Jesus pray. 
So Jesus is arrested. He's bound. Jesus, uh, Peter has struck the ear of Malchus. Whoosh. Jesus heals him. I forgot to note that the name Malchus is inter It's interesting that Malchus is named here. Probably. Malchus is probably named because he probably became a Christian. And he was known, maybe even to the people who were reading the Gospel of John, that they would have known who Malchus is. It's amazing to imagine. These guys, they were not, you know, they were not far from Jesus uh, and his church in the early generations. All these guys, like, for example, we're going to hear about Simon the Cyrenian and, and his sons. Why do we know their names? Well, probably also they became Christians, part of the first church. Interesting to note, by the way, if some of you guys are on the three-year lectionary out there, the lesson that's coming up on Sunday is the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And I've been s simply marveling over the, the fact that, that that would be the first church. This Samaritan woman goes back to her village and tells people about Jesus. And they believe her, and they become Christians. And they are gathered around Jesus. That's the, the first Christian church is established in this little Samaritan village. Now that is amazing to think about. Yeah. Want to pick it up? We said that Jesus' trial happens in five phases. Phase one is his interview with Annas, where he's first struck on the head, on the face by a soldier. And then we're going to pick it up, uh, just one verse in John 18, and then I'm going to flip over to Mark. Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. I believe that only uh, only Annas is, uh, the, the trial before Annas is only in John. And that shows you that there's an interesting thing about John. Now, I don't want to get into too many of the background details because, I mean, that we don't want to lose the thread of the story here. But, But just to consider John a little bit, how John, remember, was a fisherman, his father, Zebedee, had a fleet of ships on the Sea of Galilee. And yet this John was also well-known in Jerusalem, probably had a home in Jerusalem, and was well-known to the high priest's family. So that Zebedee would not have been an inconsequential character in Jerusalem. In fact, we got to think that, that Zebedee was probably fairly well-known. Uh, and so maybe he was a like a rich businessman who had a, amongst his businesses, he had a fleet of, of fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee, but he had a home in Jerusalem and he was well known amongst, he was well known amongst the rest. Well, that's going to help us, that's going to help us understand the plot that unfolds here and that's also going to help us unfold the Easter plot. When we, when we get to that, and because, you know, one of the, one of the accusations that's made sometimes, and this is, I mean, we're supposed to sometimes do apologetics on this show, so this is one of those things, is one of the accusations that's often made against the Christian church is that the Bible's full of contradictions, and one of the proofs is Easter. When you start to look at the Easter text, you're like, how can all of this make sense? Well, one of the keys is to put John's house in Jerusalem, and then it all starts to fit together really quite nicely. Anyway. We'll pick up the thread in Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 55. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. 
And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. Now this is an amazing thing to think about. So Jesus goes now to the Sanhedrin. We want to remember, what's the history of the Sanhedrin real briefly? Remember how Moses was having so much trouble in the wilderness because there's so many people coming to him with all these troubles and he couldn't adjudicate for all of them. So Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, says, well, what are you doing? Why don't you appoint 70 elders to rule, uh, to make judgment? And then if they can't sort it out, then let them come to you. And that became the 70, the ruling elders in Israel. And that's the origin of the Sanhedrin, which had subsisted from then until now, until the time of Jesus. So so Jesus goes before this Sanhedrin. Now, we remember also that the Sanhedrin was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. So it wasn't just priests. It was also just teachers. Remember, the Pharisees were the lay people. And so it was, the, it was basically the, the rulers. And so they all gathered together under the authority of Caiaphas, the high priest, and they have this trial. Now, there's there's articles that you can go and find, and, and they're pretty interesting to, to look at, that walk through all of the things that are done wrong in this trial. Like, number one, you couldn't accuse someone. You couldn't have a trial for someone on the same day that they were accused. You couldn't have a trial at night. You couldn't have a trial where someone didn't have anyone there to defend them and so forth. In other words, there's all these Jewish laws about how to properly convene a trial against somebody, and all of them are broken. I mean, they don't follow any of their own rules. It's in the middle of the night. It's on the same day that Jesus is arrested. It's, it's got, it, there's nobody to defend Jesus. No one, no paraclete, no one to stand by his side, which is pretty stunning. And they can't get their story straight. So they're bringing in all these witnesses. Now there's some attempt to have some integrity. Because remember, they want to kill Jesus. What did it say here? They were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They want to kill Jesus, but you want to remember that, that they did not have the authority to kill him. Um, the Romans took that. The Romans let the Sanhedrin stay in place, but, but they took away the right to capital punishment. That's why Jesus uh, is crucified and not stoned, because, because Jesus had to be killed, because the, the Jewish Sanhedrin had lost the, the privilege of capital punishment. So he has to be, um, so to be, able to, f to be able to put Jesus to death, they're going to have to have enough evidence to present before Pilate to get him killed. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for something that they can bring to Pilate so that Jesus can be condemned. But they can't find it. And how about this? It says, we heard him say, I'll destroy the temple that's made with hands and in three days build another not made with hands. Even with this, they didn't agree, even though that's something that Jesus said. It's the beginning of John. Jesus says, tear down this temple and I'll build it back up in three days. And his disciples understood after the resurrection that he was talking about, that he was talking about the, the temple of his body. And after the resurrection, they remembered it. Amazing. So even when they were talking about, even when they were talking about what Jesus um, uh, really did say, they still can't agree. Now there's a question that just came in. I saw it on the on the YouTube live feed here that said, did Nicodemus defend Jesus before Caiaphas? And the answer to that is a little bit. 
in John chapter 7, I believe, there's a little note that when Caiaphas and, and the Jews are plotting, and John tells us about the plot, that Nicodemus stood up and said, it's not right to condemn a man without having him tried first. But I don't think we have any mention of Nicodemus between then and the time when he and Joseph of Arimathea go to claim the body of Jesus and to bury it. I don't think. We went to the Passion Play uh, 10 years ago in uh, 2010 over in Oberammergau. And, you know, they, they do the last week of Jesus' life. And one of the things that they did was this, they had a long debate in the Sanhedrin right now, this part of the text. They extended it, and they had Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus arguing for Jesus' innocence. It's really interesting. That's not in the Scriptures. But it's interesting to think about because those two had in one way or another become his disciples, yet not publicly, not, not yet. So they're trying to bring in all these false witnesses, and they're bringing in all these false witnesses, but they just can't agree on anything. They can't get their story straight. So I kind of see it's going nowhere, so here's what happens. I'm going to pick up the thread here in Mark 14, verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Wow. Are you the Christ? the son of the blessed. In other words, the, finally the high priest can get nowhere from the testimony of all these people. So Jesus is going to have to testify of himself. And it'll be this, amazing to think, it'll be this testimony of Jesus, his stating the truth of exactly who he is. It'll be this testimony that is con that causes him to be condemned. Are you the Christ? Are you the son of the Most High? Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus says, I am. Again, ego a me, the divine name. I am. Not only am I the Christ, not only am I the son of the blessed, I am God. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right end of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's a picture of the Ancient of Days from the vision that Daniel had in his prophecy. And Jesus says, that's me. The Son of Man is me. And I will stand, I will sit on the throne, and I will come to judge the world. Now this is, if it's not true, this is blasphemy. I mean, this is Jesus claiming to be God. I, I heard someone say one time, they said, anytime you want to see where Jesus claimed divinity, just, just go to find where the Pharisees tore their clothes and go back a couple of verses. <laughs> I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What's your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. So the whole thing, they, they, can you, and you got the plot here, right? They brought in all these false witnesses, all these people to try to get Jesus, to try to trap him, to try to get him in trouble. It's always what they're doing. And, and not, it just doesn't work. He can't be condemned. He's holy. He's perfect in every way. 
And so none of it sticks. So finally, Jesus is going to have to... Jesus is helping his own condemnation along. So I'm just going to give it to you plain, fellas. I'm God in the flesh. I'm going to judge the world. And now they accuse him of blasphemy. They tear their robes. The whole thing is in in a ruckus. And verse 65, more indignation follow. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying to him, Prophesy, who hit you? And the guards received him with blows. So Jesus is condemned, and they all start to spit on him. They cover his eyes, blindfold him. They strike him in the face. Oh, you're the Messiah. Who hit you? Who struck you? Now, in the meantime, Peter and John are outside. And I want you to see this maybe cinemagraphically. If you can imagine that you're making a movie of the Gospels, if you're doing that, you only need one camera almost the whole time because it just stays right on Jesus. I mean, the whole story of the Gospel is the story of Jesus. Until you get to this point in the Passion, and now you've got to have a couple other cameras to follow a couple other pieces of action. One is Judas, but the other is Peter. So we're going to cut away to Peter and hear what happens. We'll flip over to Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 54. Starting back in the garden, they seized Jesus and led him, led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him, as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But he said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus must have been being moved from, from one place to another. And, and you can see it with his hands tied behind him and with the spit dripping off of his beard and with the bruises already in his swollen eyes and with the dirt and the, and the blood in his hair. Jesus is being moved from one place to another. And all at once, Peter denies Jesus, and Jesus is let out, and the rooster crows, and Jesus turns, and he looks right at Peter. 
And Peter remembers what the Lord promises. Peter, who said, if I all fall away, I won't fall away. I'll defend you to the death. I'm with you through it all, thick and thin. Peter, so sure of himself, now sees that he was, <laughs> that he was weak. That he couldn't even stand up under the inquisition of a little servant girl at the fire. He sees what he's done and he runs out weeping. Well, that's a good spot for a break. We'll think about that for a couple of minutes and then we'll come back and pick up the story as the condemnation of Jesus is brought to the brought to before all the Sanhedrin. He's condemned publicly and then brought before Pilate. We're talking about the passion of Jesus and you're listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Short break. We'll be right back. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. This week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of 2 Thessalonians. We'll talk with Dr. Robert Gagnon about an election season focus on LGBTQ and religious relations. And we'll discuss confession of sins in the church with Pastor Peter Bender. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Welcome back. Cross the fence. We host Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We're we're walking with Jesus through his last few hours now. We've made it through. Hmm. We've made it through Friday night, and the day is about to dawn. He's about to be condemned formally by the Sanhedrin. We'll read some verses from Luke chapter twenty-two, verses sixty-six to seventy-one. When day came, the assembly of the elders and of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to the council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. We're going to skip at this point to Matthew 27. 
because the because the Gospels are giving us, a, and this is an interesting thing to think about, just kind of rhetorically and, and maybe even artistically, that the Gospels are giving us a glimpse uh, not only at Jesus, but also at the reaction of Jesus and his disciples. And one of the main things that's going to happen is that we're going to see the reaction of Peter and, and Judas. We saw, we saw Peter betraying Jesus and run off weeping, but now we're going to get to Judas. This is Matthew chapter 27. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. And he brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. Oh, what hypocrites. Ugh. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now this is an amazing, amazing thing to consider. One of the old, one of the things that the old Lutherans have had have done is contrasted the repentance of Peter with the repentance of Judas. Both Peter and Judas realize that they have sinned against the Lord. Both Peter and Judas realize that they have um, betrayed wrongly an innocent man. Peter goes and and weeps. But Judas goes, and he goes to make amends to the temple. Now it's amazing that the temple ha uh, is who paid Judas for, for the betrayal of Jesus. I mean, they won't take back the money, and it's a grand act of hypocrisy, because they're the ones that gave him the money in the first place. So they pay Judas to betray Jesus, and then he says, I don't want it. You can have your money back. And they say, we can't take it. It's blood money. It was blood money when you had it in the first place. So, but Judas, he can't, he throws it into the temple. Just, you can see his despair. And he goes and he hangs himself. I mentioned that we saw the Passion Play uh, 10 years ago in Oberhammergauen. One of the most stunning moments. There's two moments that I'll always remember. They just are, are seared into my imagination. The first is when Jesus is crowned with thorns. Hasn't happened yet in our story, so maybe I'll describe that when we get to it. But the second is this, the suicide of Judas. All throughout the story, uh, Jesus and his disciples had stoles on. They're not like the stoles that pastors wear now, which are kind of thin piece of cloth, but they're more like scarfs, more like pieces of cloth that they would wear around their neck. And they would use it 
whenever it was time to pray. So whenever they were praying, they would take their their um, stole, their shawl, and put it over their heads so that they would pray with their head covered, as is the Jewish custom still to this day. You know, if you go if you go and visit Jerusalem, you want to go down the Western Wall, you have to get like a little like a coffee filter to put on your head so you can cover your head. This is just Jewish custom is that the men cover their heads when they pray. That's the whole point of the yarmulke. But they had these stoles, and they would take their stoles, and they would use them to cover their head. It was a, I mean, it goes back to the Old Testament. Remember, there's Elijah and Elisha, and he, and he had his stole there, and he puts a stole on him. The stole is a, it, the stole is a symbol of the yoke of the office. So the pastor still wears stoles now, but he had them. So Judas and, and the disciples all had their stoles. And when Judas goes to hang himself, he takes off his stole, and he throws it over a tree, and he hangs himself with his own stole. Now, again, that's not in the Bible, but it is an incredibly profound theological insight. Judas realizes what he's done. He's filled with remorse, but there is no faith. The confessions say it like this. Repentance has two parts. Contrition that is sorrow over sin, that we realize that the things that we've done are wrong, unholy, unhelpful, bad. We realize that we've, that we've broken God's law. But this is followed by the second part of repentance, which is faith. Trust in the promises of God. Trust in his mercy. Trust in his love. Trust in the forgiveness of sins. Trust in the blood of Jesus. Judas has remorse, sure enough. He realizes what he's done is wrong, but he goes looking for someone to give him a bit of relief, but he goes to the exact wrong place. He goes to the, to the Pharisees or the Sadducees gathered at the temple. He goes to the people who are at that very moment plotting to destroy the one who is bringing salvation. And there's no absolution there. There's no forgiveness of sins there. There's no, there's no mercy to be found there, even though that's exactly why the Lord had created the temple. I mean, go back to the prayer of King Solomon at the dedication of the temple of the Lord and notice how often he prays about the forgiveness of sins. Lord, when you hear your people's prayer from this place, forgive their sins. Lord, when, these, when we come before you and stand before you, forgive our sins. I'll bet you, if you, I haven't done this, but I'll bet you if you go and add up all the times the forgiveness of sins is mentioned from Genesis chapter 1 until the prayer of King Solomon, then you, you, and you add all of those up. I bet you Solomon triples it in this prayer of the dedication of the temple. In other words, the reason why the Lord instituted the temple is so that he could come and remember his name and bless his people, so that the blood shed would be not just for the people, but for the whole world. Remember how the Passover, your blood goes over the thing and the angel of death passes over. Well, Jesus now, the Lord, institutes the temple so there'll be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. And so Judas goes to the place instituted by Jesus for the shedding of blood and for the forgiveness of sins, and there's nothing for him, nothing. I'm, I'm desperately afraid now that this is how the church is now, that people in desperate need of forgiveness of sins come to the church and they hear, you got to try harder, you got to do better. It's all, you, what can we do about it? What? No, Jesus, the church exists to give out this forgiveness. Judas goes to the wrong place. 
And so it's just darkness. It's just despair. I got an email today. Some, well, I think it was like two weeks ago, but I read it today. <laughs> I got an email today, and someone said, hey, uh, can we? do we know for sure that Judas uh, went to hell? And the answer is, we, we, with about as much certainty as we know about anyone's eternal welfare, we know about Judas, not from his suicide, but from what Jesus says to him. It'd be better if you weren't even born. The Son of Man goes as it was prophesied about him, but woe to the one who, by whose hand he goes, and so forth. So Jesus tells us that it is not good for Judas, and he dies there in despair. So here's the point. It's not, you cannot stop. Don't, if you're sorry for your sin, good. If you're sorry for your miserable condition, good. If you're sorry that you've broken the commandments, good. But that's not your only, that's only the first step. There's another step, and that is to know that all of those sins, every single one of them, everything that you've ever done wrong, all of it is, is died for by Jesus. It's covered by his blood. And that's, and, and Jesus does not want you to stop halfway. Listen, if you if you're if you're listening or watching or whatever, Jesus does not want you to despair over your sin. He does not want you to be like Judas. He wants you to know that all of that sin was was atoned, is covered. If he wanted to, he could call down angels to rescue him from this mess, but he doesn't. He wants Jesus wants to be right here. He wants to be he wants to have his hands tied behind his back. He wants to have the spit dripping off his beard. He wants to have these bruised and puffy eyes. He wants to be mocked and I mean, he doesn't love it. He despises the shame of it, but he wants the result of it. He wants to he he he's pressing towards the towards the goal. How does it say it in Hebrews? For the joy set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy set before him is you and your forgiveness. You. So if you're despairing over your sin, don't think that that's what God wants. He wants you to know that the whole business of the cross is And the whole business of the cross is he's going to suffer this so you don't have to. John 18. I'm going to run out of time. They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. That is the mountain for the molehill right there. They're crucifying God. But they're going to keep hands. They're not going to go into the Gentile palace so they can eat the Passover. Pilate went outside and said to them, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. They couldn't do it. It wasn't enough for them to have Jesus beaten. It wasn't enough for them to have Jesus exiled. It wasn't enough for them to have Jesus thrown in prison. They, they had to rise up and put him to death. 
There's a little Pharisee in each one of us, a little mini monk that lives in each one of us that just can't stand the idea that we need saving and has to kill anyone that comes along and says they're the Savior. But Jesus, in this great kind of beautiful, marvelous working of God's mysterious will, Jesus is going to suffer the wrath of sinners so that he can save them. I mean, can you, can you imagine it? Even this, this crazy act of defiance, of rejecting God's gift of a Savior, even this Jesus is going to forgive on the cross. And this is all for you. Here we are in our sin, but here Jesus is before Pilate to save us from our sin. Oh, God be praised. Hey, you're listening to Cross Defense. We're at the end of the time. I can't believe it. But we're going to pick this up. Not next week. Next week i got to be out of town. We're going to do a replay next week. But the week after we'll be back and pick it up right here at John chapter 18. Jesus before Pilate. And we'll continue to press on in the last hours of Jesus' life, the last hours before his death, uh, we should say, the last hours before the crucifixion, and rejoicing that all of for us, for us men and for our salvation, God be praised. Thanks for listening to Cross. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks as always. Boy, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for being part of the Cross Defense family. I hope you enjoy it. And as always, if there's if there's something that's helpful there and you can think of someone who would be benefited by it, oh boy, don't don't hesitate to share it with them. Uh, God be praised for his word and his goodness and all this stuff that Jesus is doing, that it's, that it's for us. As always, more theology over at wolfmuller.co. I send out a free weekly newsletter, Wednesday whatnot, on Wednesdays mostly, at wolfmuller.co slash Wednesday. You can get information about that. Sign up. I give away a free book uh, once a month. There's a bunch of other stuff on YouTube and, and all the other stuff over there as well. So, uh, so keep in touch. God's peace be with you.